I think week after week, it just seems like it might be easy for them, but it is not, it's not at all. So thank you, Dave, and um, I really appreciate all the pastors just doing God's work and, and building his kingdom here on this earth. It's, it's just awesome. Um, so today I wanted to share a word that God has just really placed on my heart, and it was about, um, and it's about what are you seeking? Um, and the main verses uh, were read a little bit earlier today in Luke 12, um, 22 through 34, and I really wanted to point out there about um, starting in, in uh, verse 30, uh, for all the nations of the world seek after the, these things, and your father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added unto you. I mean, how incredible is that? He knows all your needs and your wants, but he said, seek me first. And so that's what I want to talk about today. Now imagine this. Imagine that you are in a desert, and you've been without food and water for many days. You are so parched, you wish you could just have a drop of water touch your tongue, You keep walking because there's nothing else you can do in hope that you can find this water to quench your great thirst. You're seeking after something that will satisfy you. Well, in this world, people are seeking for things that satisfy them as well. Unfortunately, many unbelievers are seeking after things that will never satisfy them, that will leave them wanting more and more. They're looking for purpose and identity in things. But we know that they'll never find it there. But we, as believers, do sometimes we actually do that as well? What are we looking to be satisfied with in our own lives? Let's listen to this passage in Jeremiah 2, 12 through 13. God's word says, Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, says the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. We may not find ourselves exactly where the Israelites were in this passage, but are we trying to satisfy ourselves and our thirst outside of Christ, who is our living water? In other words, What are we really seeking after? Are we seeking after God or chasing after things? David's cry in Psalm 63.1 was, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek after you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. See, this is what David had. He realized that we are seeking for something. Always as humans. That's how God created us. And he was seeking after God. Because he knows this land will not quench his thirst, will not satisfy him. Only God can. Well, last year was pretty rough for me, which I'm sure it was for many of you, 2020. Um, There was that whole COVID pandemic. I'm sure you heard of. And then also it was my first year of marriage. And I got married when I was 33, so I had to really learn how selfish I was being single all that time in my life. (laughs) Work was crazy busy and extremely stressful. Uh, It seems like rules just changed all the time. And I also started to do a ton of different activities in my life because I do have a hard time saying no. 
And I realized at the end of the day, I would just start feeling annoyed and completely exhausted. I just could not get that joy in my life. I didn't know how to handle all this stress. But I just kept going, just pressing through. I kept reading my Bible plan in the morning, and it seems like my prayers just got quicker and quicker. Have you ever felt like this? Or maybe you're going through it right now. Well, one day, God stopped me dead in my tracks. And he asked me, what are you seeking? I never really thought of that before. All of a sudden, I realized I was just busy seeking to be busy. I had a ton of things taking up my time. But one of them was, that was getting pushed out of my life was my fellowship with Jesus. The one-in-one time that he desires I would read my Bible in most mornings, listen to it at night, do a devotional, but my prayer life and my time alone in God was practically gone. I thought, why am I not seeking after God? So I started examining my life, and I came to these main points in my speech today, in my sermon today. My first point I want to talk about is, does busyness keep us from seeking God? Have you ever thought about that before? I remember one time I was walking into Walmart. This was um, a few weeks ago, actually. And I, I tried to get the best parking spot, you know, closer to the store, closer to the door I needed to get into. And I know the things I needed to do. So I, I have no reason to really be in a hurry, but I just was. So I wanted to just go and get my things, go to the fastest cashier, and leave, get to my car, and go back home. And as I was leaving, I realized I don't think I ever really remembered seeing anyone's face in Walmart. Never even occurred to me. You know, and just like realize that there's people living all around me and that my life does not just focus on myself and what I want to do. So is this kind of how the world lives? It seems like it is. You know, they're just seeking for the next thing and they're worried that they're not going to get it. Just think about Black Friday after we're being thankful for it. They're just rushing to get what they want. And I realized, man, I'm doing that too in certain areas of my life. I rush everywhere and hope that people will not get in my way to slow me down. Shouldn't we be seeking Jesus in every area and just calm down and realize that life is so much better than being just busy? We should be seeking Jesus and asking him how we can rule in every area of our life and growing his kingdom, even to a trip to Walmart or to work or just down for a walk or walking down the street, you know, to show that we're here to love God and love others. The things on this earth are just fleeing away. Like it says in the passage, it's be here today and gone tomorrow. But where our treasure is, Is it on earth, or is it with Jesus, which is forever? That's where it needs to be. That's where our hearts need to be. From the passage earlier in Luke 12, 30-31, Jesus says, For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Often today, we miss what God is doing, because we are either too busy doing something else, or we have a better idea of what... what God, or what God would have us do. I, I want to talk to you about an illustration I found in the book uh, Screwtape Letters. Um, this book is a, it's a very awesome, it's a great book. It's a fictional book and a Christian novel written by the great C.S. Lewis. 
This book is written from the viewpoint of a demon who is teaching his understudy how to tempt a believer and make his Christian life powerless. So I'm going to read a little excerpt from this book and see if this is kind of the areas that's going on in your life as well. So imagine this. Satan called a worldwide convention. In his opening address to his evil angels, he said, We can't keep the Christian from going to church. We can't keep them from reading their Bibles and knowing the truth. We can't even keep them from forming an intimate, abiding relationship and experience in Christ. If they gain that connection with Jesus, then our power over them is broken. So let them go to church, but let them have their conservative lifestyles, but steal their time so that they can't gain experience in Jesus Christ. This is what I want you to do, angels. Distract them from gaining hold of their Savior and maintaining that vital connection through their day. How shall we do this, shouted the angels. Keep them busy on the non-essentials of life and invent innumerable schemes to occupy their minds. He answered, tempt them to spend, 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 borrow, 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 persuade them to work for long hours, to work six to seven days a week, 10 to 12 hours a day, so that they can afford their lifestyles. Keep them from spending time with their children. And as your family fragments, soon home will offer no escape from the pressures of work. Overstimulate their minds so that they cannot hear that still small voice of God. Entice them to play the radio or cassette whenever they drive. Keep the electronic entertainment constantly going in their homes. And see to it that every store and restaurant in the world plays non-biblical music constantly. This will jam their minds and break their union with Christ. Fill the coffee table with magazines and newspapers. Pound their minds with the news 24 hours a day. Invade their driving moments with billboards. Fill their mailboxes with junk mail, sweepstakes, mail order catalogs, and every newsletter and promotional offering free products are and promotional offering, free products, services, and false hopes. Even in the recreation, let them be excessive. Have them, return from the rec- have them return from their recreation exhausted, disquieted, and unprepared for the coming week. Don't let them go out in nature and reflect on God's wonders. Send them to amusement parks, sporting events, concerts, and movies instead. And when they meet for spiritual worship, Involve them in gossip and small talk so that they can leave with a troubled conscience and unsettled emotion. Let them be involved in church activities, but crowd their lives with so many good causes that they have no time to seek power from Christ. Soon they'll be working in their own strength, sacrificing their health and the family for the good of the cause. It was quite a convention in the end, and the evil angels went eagerly to their assignments, causing Christians everywhere to get busy, 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 and rush here and there. Wow, <laughs> what a quite an illustration, huh? But I could see those, like what I shared earlier with the Walmart and, and the busyness in my life, I could see there be aspects of it there. And I was really convicted from reading that book. It is important to remind ourselves constantly, every day, why are we living here on this earth? As Christ's followers, we cannot get distracted from seeking the kingdom of heaven <clears throat> excuse me, and his righteousness. 
All right, and my second point I want to talk about, why do humans not seek after God? You would think it would just be an easy thing to do, right? Well, if we look back in Genesis 3, before the fall, Adam and Eve had an amazing life. It was perfect. All they were to do was take care of the garden. They were supposed to be fruitful and multiply without any pain, suffering, or death. And God, the God of the universe, even walked and talked with them daily. Life was literally perfect before any sin. His only instruction for Adam and Eve was to not eat of that one tree in that garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Some people wonder why God would put such a tree there. But for me, I feel like, or, but it was really hard. Was it really that hard to stay away for that one tree out of a thousand? God provided all the grace they needed to not fall into sin. However, Adam and Eve thought that they knew better than God and they listened to, to the lies of Satan instead of God's word. Adam, Adam and Eve believed that God was holding back goodness from them. So they basically said, Satan, you're right. God is holding back from us. Otherwise, why would he not want us to eat of this good-looking fruit and know the knowledge of good and evil? Then they desired to be like God, so they took that forbidden fruit and ate of it. Instantly, Adam and Eve did know both good and evil, but sin from disobeying spread everywhere like a cancer through them and throughout the entire earth. Think about Adam and Eve after they had sinned against God. They thought that they knew what to do. Kind of like here in this world, they all think they know what to do. For Adam and Eve, it was kind of completely ridiculous if you think about it. They thought they could hide from God, the God who created everyone, including them. So rather from seeking, rather than seeking God to solve their dilemma, they did they did what they thought was best and tried to cover themselves to hide from God. Have you ever thought you knew better than God? I certainly would not admit to such a thing, but I notice that I do actually live like such a thing at times. For example, I know in God's word, it says in Philippians 4, 6 through 7, do not be anxious about anything, nothing, but everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. But why do I not believe this at times? Why do I think I need to be in control and not just release my circumstances and trust God in prayer? Why do I choose to listen to Satan word, Satan's words over God's words? If we are living in our flesh, we will think that we will know how to live like Adam and Eve did. And they will not need God's help, or we will not need God's help or direction, we will think. We'll just go about our days thinking we know right from wrong, good from evil. However, we will always fall short. Our fleshy nature basically tells God, I know how to live now. I'll come to you if I ever need you. I need to go to work. I need to be efficient. I need to stop I need to shop, and I need to, um, and I need to go get the things I need. I need people to like me. I cannot waste time praying right now because I have a lot of things to do. Have you ever, ever thought of that before? Also, we'll say, please bless my life as I continue to rule my own world as I look forward to seeking, seeing you in heaven someday. 
Doesn't that sound crazy? God convicted me of living like this in different areas of my life. And it's really something I did have to repent of. Can you relate to this in your own life? Are there areas where you're acting like you don't need God? If we do think like this, God gave us an amazing gift of repentance. We can start over, all over again and seek him and his word. We can remember his promise to encourage us, and we can also remember promises to encourage us. Like Psalm 1611 says, you make, me, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Isn't that incredible? Fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore to be with God. What more could we want? Remember my question? Why do humans not seek after God? Well, whether you're an unbeliever or believer in this room today, I would challenge you to ask yourself, is there any kind of pride in your heart that says, I know better than God and therefore hinders you from fully seeking him or enjoying him? My third point is, rem- is remember what God did so we can seek after him. So what did God do for us so that we can go away from the sinfulness of selfishness? Well, it's an amazing gospel message. God created us for his glory. Therefore, every human should live for God's glory. However, we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Because of this, we all deserve eternal punishment in hell. But yet, in his great mercy, God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, into this world to provide for our sinner, us sinners a way of eternal life through his death and resurrection on the cross. Therefore, eternal life is a free gift to all who repent of their sin and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, the supreme treasure of their lives. Now, if we've been saved by the gospel, we have to remember what Galatians 2.20 says and what we actually sang about today. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It is, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So this is what Jesus calls us to do. We need to recognize that we have been crucified with him and deny ourselves every day Pick up that cross and follow him. My last and fourth point, and final point, is how to seek after God practically. I've talked a lot about this today, but how do we practically seek after him? Well, first off, are you giving God your full attention? In John Mark Comer's book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, he talks about this and what we're giving our attention to. He says, what, are you giving your att- what you are giving your attention to is the person you will become. Put another way, the mind is the portal to the soul. And what you fill your mind with will shape the trajectory of your character. In the end, your life is no more than the sum of what you give your attention to. That bodies well for those apprentices of Jesus who give their bulk of their attention to him. And that is good beautiful, and true in this world. But not for those who give their attention to the 24-7 news cycle of outrage and anxiety and emotion-charged drama to the nonstop feed of celebrity gossip, 
But again, we become what we give our attention to, for better or for worse. So, how do we give our God our, our attention? First, we need to realize our need for him. So let's learn from the, me- the leper in uh, Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Now let's think about this leper for a second. This leper was in complete state of desperation. He had one desire, and that was to be healed. That's the only way that he can continue living. And the only place he could go that he knew of was Jesus. Do we as Christians today know our desperate need for God as much as this leopard knew he needed to be cleansed? We can seek Jesus the same way. He has not changed. He resurrected, so he is alive today. One of the greatest promises that God ever made with mankind is Jeremiah 29, 13. This verse says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. What a promise. How amazing it is that God would make to sinful man that if you would seek him, if you turn to him, believe in him, seek him with all your heart, seek to love him, you will find him. It was true for the Israelites back in the day, and it's true for us today. If you truly want to seek and know God, you have the opportunity to do so. Ask him to give you an always increasing desire to seek after him. I once thought that verse, that, that Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen was a verse for just unbelievers. So when I was sharing the gospel, I shared it with them, which is, which is great. However, it's just as true for us as believers. This is God's greatest desire as well, is to seek him and love him. In, verse, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, And without God, it is impossible, or sorry, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever will draw near to God must believe he exists, and that he rewards those who seek him. He's willing to reward you today once you seek after him. And I have a challenge for you guys today. When you get home, I challenge you to go in a room, a quiet room by yourself, shut the door, remove all the distractions, and focus your mind on seeking after God. Ask him to meet with him there and believe that he wants to meet with you. Talk with him and have fellowship because he's your dad in heaven. Ask him to meet with you. Focus on his great love for you and seek to love him with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. If you start to tear up, let it flow. But just be real and honest before your maker. Worship him in heaven. He's your dad. He desires this more than you do. In John 4, verse 23, Jesus says, But the hour is coming and is now here. When the true worshipers, worship, excuse me, the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is seeking such people to worship Him. Also, to seek God, we must be humble. 
and picture ourselves as a child coming to our loving Father's arms. Jesus states this in Matthew 18, verses 3 and 4. And he said, Truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like a child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. I want to end this uh, with Psalm 100. And to, to recap kind of what I said today is that we just need to focus on what we're seeking and giving our attention to. In the end, we need to realize that God is our greatest treasure and we only want to live and glorify him until we get to see him face to face someday. Psalm 100 says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve him. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Join me as I pray. Dead in heaven, you are so good. So good to us. We do not deserve you at all. We thank you, Jesus, for everything you've done for us. I pray that we would crucify our flesh daily, Lord, and live for you, Jesus. Fill us with the Holy Spirit, and may we glorify your holy name. Amen. Thank you, Jake. We're, we're reminded yeah, that we are um, called to, to seek Seek after the Lord, and he is the one that will satisfy us. I love the picture of the, the broken cisterns. A lot of times we put our hope in things that are broken, and we'll never, never fill, and yet we'll pursue after them with great diligence and a huge chunk of our time um, when